Um, you, ever, you ever been in conversation with someone and you get, kind of get to a natural break point and you're sort of wondering what to say next? You know those, those times where you sort of go, <laughs> and that, that pregnant moment that you just know is like laden with expectation and, so, and you're thinking to, into yourself, someone's got to bring up a new topic of conversation really soon, otherwise this is going to get kind of awkward. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right, I've got, a, I've got a topic of conversation for you to lob in in that moment. Here's my conversation hand grenade for you. In that moment, why don't you just say, hey, slavery, what do you think about that? <laughs> I guarantee it might actually make the conversation more awkward than it was before. <laughs> Listen, um, it's, it's actually not a laughing matter, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, the, the, one of the reasons that slavery, when I say it like that, it's such an emotive topic, isn't it? Because it's fraught with emotion, it's fraught with history, it's fraught with legacy, um, and it's got loads of connotations to it when I say it, doesn't it? And so when you say it, suddenly the mood changes in the room. Do you notice that? All right? Um, even today, slavery still exists in some form in our society which makes it perhaps surprising then to read what Paul says about slavery in these verses in Ephesians, which we're going to look at in a couple of minutes' time. So as Dan says, if you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians 6. It's only a couple of short verses verses we're going to look at today, so I will put them up on the screen, but it might help you to have it open with you. When I said slavery for the first time, what went through your mind? What image did you have? Was it an image like that? You know, lithographs of the slave ships going over to America? Was it something like this? Uh, this is child cobalt miners in Africa? Or was it something like this? I know these images are confronting. But I bet what probably didn't go through your mind when I said the word slavery was this. Unless you really, really hate your job, of course. In which case, good news, God really wants to speak to you about your work today. <laughs> We've been working our way through this series looking at Paul's letter to a church in Ephesus, written around 60 AD. And in this letter that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, Paul has reminded us that if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, the Bible says we are in Christ, which means that everything about us has now changed and we are fundamentally different people to what we were before. God gives us his power, his authority, and his presence with us always through the gift of the Holy Spirit living within us. Yeah, This is what we've been going through over these last few weeks. Uh, and we're at the part of the letter now where Paul wants to help us to see that the, we get to walk in the goodness of what we've been given when we call ourselves in Christ. What it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and letting God change you from the inside out. Uh, last week, Phil Moore, our lead pastor, talked about what this means inside your household. Yeah, he talked about wives and husbands. He talked about parents and children. Basically, what, is, what does the gospel mean for your domestic life, for your situation at home? And today, what I want to do is focus on what it means for our lives outside the home. In other words, what would it look like for every area of our life outside home to be transformed by the power of God? Yeah? This is what I want to talk about today, because I think that would be revolutionary, which is why we've called this sermon series, The Revolution Has Begun, because this is what it means when we get filled with the power and the presence of God. So let's read together Ephesians 6. As I say, I'll put it up on screen, starting at uh, verse 9. Paul says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, 
because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism in him. So what we have to understand is as we read these words from Paul, is that we, all of us, each, every one of us, approach the Bible with a different and very unique perspective. And that perspective is formed based on our upbringing, based on our experience and our teaching and our culture. And so, however we feel about slavery and when we read these words, whatever it kind of might stir up in us when we read them, we have to acknowledge all of the background that is leading into our reading of the, of the passage so that we don't miss what Paul is trying to actually say to us through these words. See, even though the Bible is a collection of documents written by a number of different authors over a significant, long, significant period of time, it remains the divinely inspired word of God. And even though it's written in a time and culture which is very different to ours here in London, um, it, it's, it is relevant to us today as it was when it was originally written. So I'm not going to try and make the Bible relevant for you. It already is relevant for you. However, sometimes we need to see through language, we need to see through cultural norms, and we need to see through our own personal um, attitudes that we bring when we read it in order to fully grasp the Bible's relevance to us today. Yeah? So Ephesus was a a large multicultural city in what is now modern-day Turkey. Like most cities in the Roman-occupied world at that time, it would have been very normal for people to keep slaves. And so, however, what we understand is is that slavery would have been very different then as to what we kind of attribute to it now. The image we get of slavery is often kind of African slaves on plantations and stuff like that, right? Um, But in in, in Roman-occupied times, uh, slaves were usually prisoners of war. And, and, and being kept as a slave was basically an alternative to death. So I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying you have to understand the context in which Paul was talking. Um, over time, it was, it was also possible for slaves to earn their freedom by working hard. And so actually what we understand is, is that while we don't want to condone or excuse the practice of thra- slavery throughout human history at all, understanding some of that background helps us to understand the context that Paul was writing in. And even in that context, though, I find it really interesting to see what Paul says. Because he doesn't just come out and say, set the slaves free, does he? Which is the thing you would kind of expect someone to say. Uh, kind of understanding that, you know, we're serving a God who loves us and wants the best for us. Surely he should say, well, now that you've understood this, let all your slaves go. See, I can understand sometimes why people say things like the Bible somehow condones slavery. I don't think it does. But I can understand why people come away with that impression. Now, Paul himself says in other parts of the Bible, he says in 1 Corinthians 7, for example, don't be worried if you are a slave, but he says, if you can gain your freedom, do so. So he's not saying if you're a slave, you've got to remain a slave and that's the end of your life. No, what he's trying to, 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 to help us understand is the principle that he expects all of us to work towards. I believe it's clear that the Bible does, um, doesn't, in fact, condone slavery. And indeed, we know from church history that Christians were at the forefront of the anti-slavery movement. Yeah, And a key point to understand in this text as well, too, is that Paul, the, uh, as we understand, Paul is believed to have written this letter around 62 AD when he was in prison in Rome, which puts a different spin on it all of a sudden, doesn't it? His instructions to slaves and his attitudes towards slavery suddenly take on greater significance and depth 
when you understand that Paul was a slave when he wrote the letter in the first place. Yeah? So I think one of the reasons that Paul doesn't outright reject slavery here is because he recognises the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, which is that sin and unbelief towards God actually enslave us mentally in, in many ways far worse than what physical slavery could ever do. The 19th century philosopher Johannes Goethe once wrote that nobody is more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe that they are free. See, we live in a culture that thinks it's freer than ever, don't we? And yet we only have to look around to see how our society breaks down in so many different ways to realise the flaws in that logic. And in that context, Paul says to the slaves of Ephesus that if they work wholeheartedly as though they are slaves of Jesus rather than just their masters, they actually demonstrate that they are freer than the ones who are enslaving them in the first place. When we say yes to God, when we, then we become truly free from the inside. And therefore, why wouldn't the rest of our lives be an act of worship to the one who has set us free? Yeah? Basically, Paul says, if you find yourself in the position of being a slave... Hey, be the best slave you can be. So the instructions of slavery are applicable in the time and place that they were written, you know, so to Paul's audience who was reading them in Ephesus. However, they're also applicable to us in 21st century southwest London as well. Because what Paul is doing is, is telling us that we should give every area of our lives over to whatever God wants to do in them and through them. See, last week I said we focused on what happens in our home life, and this week we want to focus on what happens outside the home. Now, for most of us here, that will probably be about work, right? About our working lives, how we spend our Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, or whatever you want to call it, how we spend the time when we're not at home. But it's also applicable to us if that, that, you know, working is not your default position. So, for example, if you are looking for work, if you're unable to work, if your working career has, you know, has gone and you're in a different phase of life, if you're at school or at further education, or praise God, if your home life is your work, whatever situation you find yourself, the message is the same, and that is that God has work planned for us to do. Yeah? Here's how the principle goes. God is always at work. God says he's always at work. Jesus said in John 5:17, "My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working." The Creator and the Sustainer of the universe keeps working for His glory and for our benefit. The reason the sun rises every day, the reason the trees produce leaves so that we can breathe, the reason that the planets keep spinning, uh, the reason that life exists on Earth is not because of some abstract forces of nature, but because God ordains it to be so, and because God is actively involved in every part of life all the time. Yeah. Here's the second thing. Because God is always at work, God has created work for you to do as well. Because we are in Christ, God invites us to participate in the work that he is doing. Paul writes earlier in Ephesians 2, he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that. What we discover is, is that work has been ordained for us from the very beginning of the Bible story. In Genesis 2, right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Why? To work it and take care for it, of it. God intended for us to have purposeful activity from the very beginning. And so, therefore, if the first two statements are true, God is always at work, God has created work for you to do, then the call for us is to work like God is our boss, because ultimately he is. 
Yeah? Regardless of who, who or what your weekday boss looks like, you're not just an employee. You're instead slaves to the one who has done it all for you. And the instructions, therefore, that Paul gives to the slaves at the beginning of the verses that we just looked at apply to all of us today as well, too. Work hard. Work sincerely. In other words, not just for a paycheck or as a means to an end. And be the same as when someone is watching you as when someone isn't. That's Paul's instructions to the slaves and it's his instructions to us as employees and workers in the field today. See, one of the ways in which the revolution that we're talking about comes about and starts to break out in our world is when spirit-filled men and women look at their work as something God-ordained and not just something that they have to do. Knowing who they are in Christ and everything they have because of him, then choosing to lay all of that down and serve the people around them is taking a Christ-like attitude to our work. Our response, therefore, should be to treat everything we do, including our work, as an act of worship. Paul writes uh, in, a, in another um, in a letter to, to the, the church in Rome. This is a, from Romans 12, and I've used the message translation because I find this really helpful. He says, here's what I want you to do with God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Which basically means, you know, use your, everything that you do as an act of worship to God. Saying, I want this to please you, everything that, you know, that I do. When we choose to give our working lives to God, we allow him to come and make this area of our life sacred and meaningful and full of blessings. Who doesn't want a job like that, hey? <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I find that really exciting. I find that gives me purpose and meaning in my day-to-day -day work. Um, if you think through your typical week, um, you would spend less than 2% of your week doing church stuff, assuming that you come to one of these services on a Sunday and assuming you connect with a small group at some point during the week. If you do just both of those things, then you, about 2% of your week will be filled with church stuff. Now, I know that there are many people here who probably do a lot more than that. And I just want to say I want to, I want to thank God for volunteers and staff who make Everyday Church what it is and who make church as a whole function. I, you know, we couldn't do this stuff with people putting in the, going the extra mile and doing you know, kind of the stuff that, that we all do. But it's interesting, isn't it, to note that God doesn't call us to build the church. Jesus tells Simon Peter in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We're not called to stay here in church. We're called to go out and make disciples. Amen? By contrast, if you work a standard 37-and-a-half-hour, 40-hour working week, right, then that means that you will spend nearly a quarter of your week every week at work. You see the difference? 2% of your week in church, a quarter of your week in, in, you know, out in the workplace. And so that means that if God is interested in every single area of my life, my home life and what happens outside my home, then he must be really interested in that quarter of my week, right? So the question is, how does God transform my work? Because you know what? I love my job. I really do enjoy my job. But if you're like me, sometimes it's hard to see what God is doing in your workplace. Yeah? I think at the very least, most of us will try and find a job that is at least somewhat fulfilling and hopefully well-paying as well too, right? But every job, regardless of what it is, has its moments of challenges, has its moments of frustration, has its moments of like coming up against people and you don't really know what's going on, and difficult situations, right? Tell me I'm not the only one that like occasionally has a difficult job, right? Yeah? Good. Okay. 
And in those moments, what you want to do is to be able to see what is God doing in, that time, in those moments? What is God doing in this time when I'm actually finding it quite frustrating? To answer that, we actually need to go back to the beginning of the Bible again. We need to go back to Genesis. Remember, we looked at uh, God creating work for us. He putting Adam in the Garden of Eden and telling him to work it, yeah, and take care of it. But if we continue on looking at those verses, we see something really interesting. Genesis 2, verses 19 and 20. This is what God says. It says, Now, the Lord God has formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. Hang on a minute. This is huge, right? This is really, really significant. God makes Adam names. Adam participates in God's creation and transformation work in the Garden of Eden, which means you're not just working for God, you're working with him and alongside him. And he wants you to participate in the work that he is already doing. See, when we fast forward a bit of time as well too, when Jesus comes into the story... When Jesus goes around, you know, kind of healing the sick, you know, casting out demons, raising the dead, he often says something like, the kingdom of heaven is among you, or the kingdom of heaven is now here. Because he's there, he's reminding us that that the um, creation, creative and transformative power of God is breaking in to everyday situations. And renewal and transformation is beginning. Do you see what's going on here? Which means that us... Being in our workplaces is partnering with God in his transformation work, which is happening in every area of human life. And therefore, our work is not just work. It's not just drudgery. But it is participation with the divine in creation and transformation. I wonder if you look at your job like that. This gives us a huge mandate into how we see our working lives. For example, if you're a teacher... Praise God for the teachers in the room. But if you're a teacher here, you are not just imparting knowledge. You are responsible for creating and shaping the young minds of tomorrow. You're shaping and creating the next generation of young minds. Do you see what's going on here? You are participating in God's creating and transforming work. If you work in technology, you're building the next thing that will change the lives of humanity. I work for a company that, that, that uh, creates um, video applications for web and for mobile, so different ways in which you can stream and download video content. And we like to say stuff like, we are changing the way people watch television. And it's not just marketing spin, because in the 1950s, if you wanted to watch television, you would all have to gather around one set at one time to be able to watch a program that was only ever on just for that period of time. Now, we have access to nearly almost every piece of entertainment content in, the, in my pocket. That's amazing, right? That is a huge cultural transformation. And what we have to realize is that we are participating in the work that God is doing to shape and transform and to change the world in which we live in. If you have anything to do with the medical industry, your goal is to change and improve the quality of life for all of humanity. Do you see what's happening here where our work, we tend to focus on the small bit of our role, but when we realize it's part of this amazing transformational narrative that God is doing in our society, suddenly our work takes on huge significance, right? Don't ever downplay your role regardless of what your job is. If you're in finance, even if you work with spreadsheets day in, day out, praise God, hey? Um, You are transforming our economic systems. 
If you're in property or architecture, you are quite literally transforming the landscape that we inhabit right now. Do you see what's happening here? Our work is part of God's renewal and transformation for all of humanity. And he puts us at the center of it when he sends us to go out and work. Wow. Which means that even the most menial job has heavenly actions and implications. Praise God, eh? I love that. Who wouldn't want to be a slave to something like that? So then the question then becomes, well, how do we respond? How do we respond in our day-to-day lives? What do we do? How do we kind of be part of this thing that God is doing? Well, I want to get really practical and just kind of come up with a couple of ways in which we can be obedient slaves in our workplaces with sincere hearts and also with God's will in mind wherever we find ourselves. Here's the first one. How much do you really know your work colleagues? You spend a quarter of your week with them, right? Take the time to make friends in your workplace and to get to know your colleagues just for for their own sake, not just so that you can get the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. Although praise God for those opportunities as well too. God has brought you together for a quarter of the week, so hey, let's be friends and get along with each other, right? I have a colleague at my work who, who inspires and challenges me in equal measure because he's been in the business less than I've been, and yet he knows everything about all the people that we sit with, and he knows them better than I do. He comes in in the morning, and he starts talking about the girlfriend, and he knows the girlfriend by name. He talks about the hobbies that they were doing that weekend. He talks about all this stuff, and I'm like, man, I don't know this guy as well as he does, and that inspires me. Because I think, man, I want to know them in the same way he does. And he does it because he loves them, people genuinely, and wants to get to know them and, 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 you know, kind of be part of their lives. I think, man, praise God. That's the kind of person I want to be like. So be good news to your colleagues. Ask God for a heart for them and genuinely and sincerely get to know your colleagues for their own sake. Because you're spending all this time with them, right? And God has put you in that orbit for a reason. Here's the second thing. Following on for that, how often do you pray for your colleagues? And I don't just mean praying for their salvation, although that is absolutely right and we should do that because, hey, we want people around us to know and experience the love of God in the same way that we've done, right? But how often do we pray for our colleagues just for their own sakes as well too? Do we pray um, for God to bless them, for God to bless their work, for God to bless the way we work with them, for God to bless their relationships, their home life, for every area of their life? Hey, because... They're unique people made in the image of God, and God loves them and cares for them in the same way he does for us. So let's pray for God's best over everyone we come across, hey? Can I suggest that um, maybe we start by praying in secret first? Because I think far too often we rush to people and say, I want to pray for you today. And that's awkward sometimes, right? And I think that sometimes we have to earn the right to be able to, to, to share something of our faith with people around us, particularly if we don't know them that well. So I want to suggest get to know someone, pray for God's blessing over them, and then look for opportunities to say, hey, can I tell you something about my faith and what it is I believe? The way we earn that blessing is by praying in secret. Here's an interesting one. How often do you pray for the prosperity of your business? If you're meant to be good news and a bringer of kingdom transformation in your workplace, then surely your business must be financially better off because you're there, right? Yeah? This is very biblical. Jeremiah 29.7. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. 
See, you have to understand that your success is wrapped up in the success of where you're working as well too. So if it does well, you do well as a result. And actually, the other way around is also true. Because God has called you to be salt and light in that place, you doing well will make the business to prosper as well. I have a, um, I have a brother here in church who needs to keep bringing in new business to meet his fee targets. So when we pray about his work, we get really specific and we pray about the next bit of business that's coming in. And we pray that actually he's going to be a financial blessing to his business because if it prospers, so does he, right? That's the kind of people we want to be like. My own company happens to be cash flow sensitive, which means although we've got some great customers and we're doing fine, um, there are challenges in the business which we would love to address. But in order to address them, we need new customers coming in so we can take that new money and use it to address the challenges that we already have. I don't know how this situation is going to resolve itself. It's complex. It's challenging. And so I'm praying for God, to God for financial transformation in my workplace so that me and them can be, can, can be mutually prosperous. I want God to, see transform, to, to transform my marketplace as well. And finally, go above and beyond the call of duty. What additional areas could you find in your workplace to serve others and to bless people for its own sake? Yeah? Last year, in my previous job, I made a bit of an observation. So we, um, so we worked on the second floor. There was no lift, so we had to go up two flights of stairs to get to the office. And we had one of those water coolers, you know, the ones where you've got to take the big bottle and like, kind of tip it on, and you have to, you know, those ones. I, made, I had this observation. Basically, the water level would get down to the bottom until it was bone dry, and nobody would say anything. And then some kind of crazy Mexican standoff would kind of ensue where people are like, who's going to be the one to crack first and be so desperate for a drink of water that they're going to go and change the bottle? And I know there was at least one colleague who just point blank refused to change it. Like, never. Never, never, never saw him doing it in my whole time there. And so I saw this, and I took a resolve, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to be the guy that waits till the thing gets empty. If I ever see that it needs changing, if I, and, I, and it's possible for me to do so, I'm going to go and change that water bottle. And so you would often find me more than once a week lugging like, you know, great big heavy water bottles up and down two flights of stairs. And if you know me, you know I'm not very fit. So this is like, a, this is an act of worship for me right here. <laughs> it's a small thing. It really is genuinely an, ins- an insignificant thing. But the point is, is that it's an area in which I, could, I chose to be able to bless and serve my colleagues. And small things make a huge difference in the kingdom of God. Actually, it got to the point where someone actually commented on the amount of times that they saw me carrying water. I mean, like I say, it's, it's, it's nothing major. But it's one of those things where when our workplaces can often be really competitive environments and everybody is looking out to make themselves look good, right? Small actions can have massive consequences in the kingdom of heaven. See, the goal is not just to evangelize your workplace and school, although, hey, we do have a call and a mandate to go and share the good news with people around us. But the task in front of us is to dedicate ourselves to working hard for the glory of God and partnering with the Holy Spirit in our working environments every day. Imagine if everyday church people scattered throughout London, Monday to Friday, every, every week, with the Holy Spirit dwelling within them and saw God move in power in a thousand different little ways every day, every week. That's what city and kingdom transformation looks like. That's the kind of thing I want to be a part of, don't you? Before we finish, I just want to make one quick note here, which is to verse 9, uh, which is a particular message of those who are priv- to those of us who are privileged to lead people as part of your work. In other words, to ma- if you're a manager here 
or if you've got direct reports. Paul says that we should basically do this, behave the same as the slaves do. Treat your slaves in the same way. In other words, working hard and sincerely, treating the people that you manage well. This doesn't mean that you should do the same work as your reports or do their work for them, but it does remind us that as managers, our role is to serve our direct reports and to facilitate their success. Yeah? Because again, if they prosper, so do we. Um, when he says that there's no favoritism within, you know, in them, Paul means is that leaders aren't any better than anyone else just because they happen to have a title. Yeah? There are no executive suites in the throne room of heaven, ladies and gentlemen. Leadership is a matter of calling and gifting and responsibility, not of status before God. Do you hear? In other words, don't lead by force, lead by grace. What we discover is that God cares about our work. God really, really cares about our work. And he wants us to be effective in our workplace and effective in him and alongside others being the best slaves that we can be. You'll remember this, right? Feels like every other week we've been like lighting matches up on stage, right? It's been the most fire buggy series I think we've ever done. I'm not going to do that right now. <clears throat> um, you'll remember that on week one of this series, uh, Phil kind of talked about these matches and said, in the same way that a piece of wood is in phosphor and becomes something fundamentally different, so we are in Christ, and as a result, we become something fundamentally different as well. And the call for us is to be struck by the power of the Holy Spirit and to go out and to burn brightly in our workplaces and wherever we find ourselves. On week one of the series, you might remember, Phil invited every one of us to take one of these matches and to put it somewhere where it would remind us of that. So this is my match. It's been with me for the last 10 weeks. Here it is on my desk at work. Please excuse the mess on my desk. <laughs> this match has been on my desk for the last 10 weeks. And on the, the occasions and times at work where I've felt frustrated, where I've felt ineffective, where I've struggled to see what God is doing in my workplace, this has helped me to remember my calling. I don't know if this has been your experience as well too. But sometimes I need to be reminded that I'm more than just one match. Sometimes we need to be a bundled match together. You remember Phil did that where he took a whole bunch of matches and struck them, and they actually burned brighter when they were together. Which is one of the reasons why what we do here in Wimbledon is we gather together and encourage one another in our respective workplaces. So we had one of these uh, everyday workplace events in March, and I know I've spoken to people who were at that one how much they, they were encouraged by it. We're going to have another one in October, so put this date in your diary. Um, this is for those of us who are in every industry and in every workplace. Um, this is not for us to teach one another how to make pet projects out of our workplaces, but it is to gather together, to worship God, to encourage one another, and maybe even to connect with people who might be in a similar industry to you, but to see what God is doing in the marketplace and how we can partner with him in everything that we're doing. Yeah? So like I said, this is one of the ways in which you can respond to this message. Put this date in your diary. Come and join us in October uh, just to see what God is doing in the marketplace. But I'd like to end right now uh, with just a prayer of commissioning over us. Hey, our work is not just a job. It is not just drudge that we have to do to get through our week. Our work is significant in the kingdom of heaven here and as well as here on earth. And it is ordained by God for us to do. Do you see that? And so if that's the case... I don't want to go out here and go, go on Monday morning, commute into my job without a sense of calling and purpose and blessing from God. How about you? So the band are going to come back now. And uh, if you want to, why don't you close your eyes with me? And if you'd like to, you can hold up your hands in a gesture of receiving from God. And I'm going to pray for God's blessing over us right now.
Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much that work is something that you have called us to do. This is not a side path to our lives that we just need to endure. This is something fundamental to the call that you have on us to be transformers and bringers of your kingdom in our culture and in our society. And so, Lord, I want to pray for the prosperity of, of the business of everybody here. Lord, we want to see financial and material prosperity in our businesses and in our workplaces, and we want to see prosperity in lots of other ways as well too. Lord, I want to pray that for those of us here that we would partner with you in creativity and in transformation in everything that you are already doing in our businesses, in our schools, in our marketplaces, in our homes. Lord, you are already at work. You've told us this. And you invite us to partner with, with what you are already doing. Help us to sense your call, to take your lead, and to partner creatively in, the, in our workplaces this week so that we would see the kingdom transform on, on heaven and on earth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.